You are listening to the Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, man, I thought morale was high. Tensions are starting to flare a little bit. We have somehow poked the bear or the Tiger, the Missouri Tiger football program. Yep, in the first hour, we are actually talking Missouri football. I think this is due to Drew Locke in the ESPN redraft pool where he would be the 15th overall selection by the Denver Broncos. And everybody is available in this draft. And I started to reminisce about all my Missouri football memories and going back to watching Drew Locke when I think he went from 44 to 28 touchdown passes. Does that sound about right, Yeah, Pauling? his interceptions weren't that bad, but he had a monster junior year and for some reason didn't come out. Uh, Paul in Iowa joins us. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Hey, Dan, uh, 5'11", 170. Thank you. So you guys are really underplaying the coveted telephone trophy that was played between Iowa State and Missouri for decades. Okay. And the story goes that the coordinators in the 50s or 60s literally got their wires crossed and could hear each other's play calls, and they played for the telephone trophy ever since. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. But, of course, that was in the 50s and 60s where it might have mattered. I don't know if it matters. feels like Iowa State football is on the rise more than Missouri football is on the rise. All right. Well, welcome to the program. We talk Canadian Football League, by the way, in the first hour. We cover all the big stories on this program. Uh, Warren Moon in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He'll join us coming up. Also, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He'll join us coming up. Michael Wilbon from ESPN will join us as well. Adam in Chicago joins us right now. Adam, what's on your mind today? Hey, guys. 56140. So, Dan, I just wanted to tell you um, and the boys how much the show has meant to me. Um, I used to work at Sports Radio 670, the score in Chicago. I think you're familiar with that. Yes. Um, and so I, I, when I first started, I worked there for like nine years, but when I first started, I worked those dreaded weekend overnight shows. Um, and so I would come in at like midnight on Friday and push buttons Saturday, midnight and push buttons. But on Fridays, um, we would simulcast your show, push buttons to play your show. And it got me at least till three in the morning. Um, and you know, you're 20 years old, 21 years old in Chicago, all your friends are out. You head on the L to go downtown and work at midnight. It was at least something to look forward to. Are you still in the business? No, no. I uh, left. I now work at a uh, school district. I do storytelling and communications for them. So I've taken my my uh, talents to make sure that I can tell stories and make sure people know that everything going on in education is actually quite awesome. All right. Well, good luck with that, Adam. And uh, glad we could entertain you. Yes, Pauline. He teaches storytelling, huh? Wow. Does that mean he reads to kids? What is that all about? Wow, that was a shot. No offense. Yeah. Man. Yes, McLaughlin. Remember when I ripped <laughs> Brooke Lopez for being a, I think, a poetry major? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think you called his major a hobby. <laughs> is that a major or a hobby? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, the whole show said you'll never hit a three, dare to hit a three. Now he hits like seven a game. No, no, I said take one in the All-Star game. I changed Brooke Lopez's career. I know. Isn't that the wildest turnaround? Because I said, look, you know, we got you into the All-Star game. Maybe we didn't, but I told him that. Can you shoot a three? And he shoots a three in the All-Star game. Then after that, he starts shooting threes. 
and has become very prolific at shooting threes. All right, uh, 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle at dpshow. Uh, poll question, McLovin? Oh, the same poll that everybody has today. Mm. Would you rather be Chase Daniel or the best Canadian Football League quarterback? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's Paul. 55% went Chase Daniel right now. Uh, wow, that's close. What, what are the other poll questions, suggestion possibilities? Okay, uh, we did. I did put together uh, who would you draft mm. if you didn't couldn't draft a, a quarterback, the Aaron Donald poll. Aaron Donald, one of the Bosa brothers, or Ronnie Stanley, or the, the first nine. Nobody knows Ronnie Stanley. I know he's number five. What do you? Or no, put, he's put, sorry. He's put, number six. Put Stefan Gilmore in there. Stephon Gilmore. Do you put the Bosa brothers in there? Yeah. yeah. You don't get both though. You got to pick one. Yeah. But yeah. both Bosa brothers in the top ten. In and the, then it's a long drop till you get like McCaffrey at twenty, and then Khalil Mack at twenty four. So like there, there's not very many non QBs that make this list at all. I know. I hate these lists. Uh, Hannah in Missouri joins us. Good morning, Hannah. What's on your mind? Morning, how are you? Uh oh. What's wrong? <laughs> oh, nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just wanted to come on and say I'm a recent grad from Missouri, and I'm not going to lie, waking up and going to those 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock <laughs> games to tailgate was a party. So you really can't beat that. Okay. But if you had maybe a 7 o'clock game, Hannah, how much more exciting could that be where you had an evening? Where you could tailgate and go to football. Yeah, you still wake up and tailgate all day long. Yes, absolutely. It's just as good. Did you know that Missouri football, that Missouri was in the uh, Southeastern Conference? Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling in, Hannah. Can you ask her if she remembers when they were number one? No, Hannah, you weren't old enough. Chase Daniels. Chase Daniels. Okay. That that was 2007. Daniel, but... That's okay. She can add an S to it. She got the you know the right quarterback, McLovin. People and, always add an S. To I know. His name. I do. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I know. That was always. I always had a problem with Chase Daniel. It was like, it, <laughs> oh, what, you did it too. Yeah. That's where's right. the S? Chase Daniels. Yeah, Paul. And, and I still say Josh McDaniel. Is it McDaniel yeah. or McDaniels? Yeah, I do that too. And Fritzy always says, uh, "You said uh, Josh McDaniel." I do. I know. <laughs> it's Josh times. McDaniels. I'm totally blank. It's McDaniels. He's got right? an S. Why? Why does he have an S? Yeah. What? Oh, I guess, yeah. McDaniels. Which is the more common name? I'm so confused right now. What about Lloyd Daniels? That's, that is an S, right? Ooh. Not Lloyd Daniels. Yeah. How about when Cal Daniels told Fritzy to, to get out uh, of town? Ready for the season, Cal? Nope. It's tough around the batting cage. I was always really uncomfortable around the batting cage because that's their little workshop. And, you know, members of the media, and then you're trying to curry favor where you can get somebody maybe, hey, can I, uh, can I get an interview with you? But you needed to have that opening line. And I'm the worst. Not worse than what I do. That's no, not exactly no. a thought-provoking question. Ready for the season, Carl? Well, I wouldn't expect anything Thanks. deep out of you. It'd be just, and why were you on the field in the first place? I got a credential because I was working at the sports radio station. They sent me to cover the team, and I couldn't believe that I could just walk on the field like that. I felt the need to shout something out. Wait, to wait. Them. Did you just hold a microphone? Is that how you I covered? I didn't even have a microphone. I was standing next to all the people covering the Dodgers, and we're like down the third baseline. Well, how are you covering them if you're not? Because doing... I was one of the producers for the, the new L.A. radio station. But there. you weren't covering them. I wasn't a Dodger beat writer, but I was covering L.A. sports, and I was given a but, Dodger. But, but you weren't doing anything at the game, were you? 
No. Okay, I was so you're enjoying not covering my him. And like, oh my God, I'm on, I'm on the field at Chavez Ravine. I live, grew up 3,000 miles from here and I'm at Dodger Stadium. Well, maybe Cal Daniels looked at you and said, who is this poser here? There's Michael no did. pen, no paper, no microphone, Why no is he nothing. wearing cowboy boots and a yeah. cowboy hat? <laughs> <laughs> that was odd that I would be dressed like that. Yeah, Paulie. And Todd, with no notepads and no recorder, how do you know you quoted Cal Daniels correctly when he said, nope? Mm, nope. Mm, yeah, I'm glad. You hurt my feelings. Best locker room story ever is when those guys made you talk to Randy Johnson. I will. Ne- I'm never going to a baseball locker room because I never want that to happen to me. That was Mark Grace and uh, Luis Gonzalez. Randy Johnson, you did not approach on game day. Really, any day, but you did not approach Randy Johnson on game day. And I'm there when Grace is with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I go to his locker. I say hello to him. It's at Wrigley Field, and. Uh, He's there with Luis Gonzalez. And they're, you know, we're just talking, BSing. And he goes, uh, and then Randy Johnson came in and he was at the other end of the locker room. And Grace goes, hey, go say hello to Unit. And I said, oh, okay. You know, I saw, yeah, I'll finish up. I said, he's pitching today, right? Yeah, 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 go say hello to him. So I get done talking to Grace and Gonzalez and I walk down (laughs) and I said, uh, hey, Unit. And he just looked at me as if I was batting third for the Cubs <laughs> that day. He wanted to drill me. I said, uh, hey, how you doing? You know, he's like, and I don't even know if he said good or. And then he he walked away and I turned around and Grace and Luis Gonzalez are just laughing. They think it's the funniest thing in the world that I went down there and said hello to. Randy Johnson. Yeah, uh, Todd. What's worse, to get glared at like that? Or for remember when Randy Johnson first, it didn't start out well when he became a Yankee and he was yelling at people in the streets like, no. get away from me. No. There's certain players who, who should, they're meant for certain cities and certain players who are not. Remember Ed Whitson when he was with the Yankees? That didn't go well. Uh, Randy Johnson. Like Tim Duncan fit San Antonio and vice versa. I don't know how Tim Duncan would have been if he was playing in New York. Like that personality, like you have to have a city that fits you and not all cities, you know, fit these players. But uh, Tim Duncan is just perfect for San Antonio. It felt like because he didn't need anything. He didn't want publicity. John Stockton was perfect for Salt Lake City. Carl Malone could have thrived elsewhere because I think Carl, he liked that publicity. He liked the notoriety. John Stockton did not want to talk about himself ever and Duncan is the same way Barry Sanders you could have put him gosh any place and like he didn't want to talk but it felt like Stillwater Oklahoma first college career was perfect yeah Paul remember when Dwight Howard went from Orlando to LA I was like I thought it was going to be perfect he was such an entertaining showy guy great interview I was like, oh, he's perfect for Los Angeles. I know it's more on the court stuff, but I thought he was destined to be a great L.A. athlete because he played so well with the media. Well, I was told that he, in his mind, had outgrown Orlando. He wanted to follow in Shaq's footsteps. You know, he wanted to be the next Superman. And he was only there. He was one and done in L.A., right? And just, I think the situation there, I think Kobe trying to push him, you know, just didn't work out for a variety of reasons. But... You know, Shaq came in and embraced L.A. and vice versa. His personality was so big that L.A. was perfect for him. And I think Dwight Howard was trying to follow in Shaq's footsteps. Uh, Jeff in Detroit. Hey, Jeff, good morning. What do you have for me? 
What up, though? One time for Chat Row. Hey, Dan, listen, you had a wonderful question, and I was trying to figure out if Dan was in charge of the Trigger Meat Smokers product placement and he had a draft, who would be his quarterback, running back, and wide receiver? You can pick from any era, but they have to play together. Who are you picking? So I can pick my quarterback, my running back, and my wide receiver from any era? From any era. Oh, Who are boy. you starting your team with? All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. Let me think about that. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I, I'd have to think about that one because do I take Brady because of his success or do I take somebody who is yeah, – I don't get Belichick to go along with Brady. And then are we playing today's NFL? No, I don't know. That, that, that feels like I'm going down a road and I'm going to go, no, no, on second thought I'll take. No, 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 on second thought I'll take. Yeah, McLovin. I think Jeff was getting at something. He said they have to play together, implying the chemistry of the three is important. I don't know. No, I, th- I, th- I thought he was saying that they are they're on the same team yeah, like, uh, so wouldn't you want to pair a Montana and a Rice because we know they work together well or something? Maybe that's part of the thinking. I don't know. But then I can take another running back. I don't have to take Roger Craig. Right. You could put Barry Sanders, okay. which is why he asked the question, okay. Mr. Detroit, I'm yeah. sure. Um, I would probably go Aikman, Irvin, and Emmett because they played together. I already have that advantage. Unless you're going to go... Bradshaw, Swan, Franco, Harris would be a possibility. But if I've already got my guys who have played together and they're all Hall of Famers, so I'd feel pretty good going into battle with those guys. I'm trying to think at what's the best trio in NFL history? Yes, Todd. I was disappointed because you always uh, rave about Elway being your favorite quarterback of all time. But you know, if, if you weren't looking at three that were on the same team, if you could just independently pick who you thought was the best quarterback, running back, and wide receiver, which is what I thought he was getting at, that you would uh, go with Elway. As your why? Favorite. Why? I've heard from you twice today. Both Broncos really. about Drew Locke and John Elway. As a former girlfriend of mine once said, "Free your mind; the rest will follow." Okay. <laughs> As Paulie says, we're too far down the road on that one. <laughs> Free your mind, the rest will follow. Uh, Jamie in North Carolina will join us. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Dan. Uh, 6'4", 215, going back to work today, and I'm glad I get to talk to you. But I have a funny story. I hope I don't screw it up quickly. Uh, Randy Johnson was poolside when I was a little kid, and I went to try and get his autograph. And he looked up at me, and I'm not sure if what his next action was going to be, but he was so intimidating that I just took off. <laughs> and couldn't get his autograph. And I just like told my dad, my dad saw him later that night, said he was really friendly, but he just looked so great. And he was sitting poolside. I just thought it was a funny story. All right. Well, thank you, Jamie. And good luck going back to work. Yeah. Unit is because he's so tall and I've had two run-ins with him. Now I have a great relationship with him now, but I remember when he was in Seattle and the entire starting lineup surrounded me at the batting cage and wanted to know why I didn't talk about Edgar Martinez more. <laughs> now I had them all there and unit was, you know, he's staring down at me. Like, why don't we give Edgar Martinez more love on sports center? And I said, you know, I, I don't run the network. You never, you know, you don't show his highlights. And I, I was thinking nobody wants to see an Edgar Martinez base knock the other way. And he doesn't play the field. 
You know, Paul. Dan, you'll remember this. Randy Johnson, I think, with the Diamondbacks, had a perfect game, maybe 04, 05. Yeah. And Fritzy called to get Randy Johnson on the show. Perfect game. Of course you want Randy Johnson on the show. Randy Johnson told the PR person, I'll only come on if they let my catcher, yep. I think his name was Robbie Hammock. You're right. He, goes, he has to be involved in the interview, too. If you enter both of us, I'll come on your show. And that was the first time he ever did an interview with you on the radio show. Yeah. But he had to have his catcher. He said, we did it together. It wasn't just me. And that's the only way we got Randy Johnson. But I thought that was very telling about him. Yes, for two. I'm sure he's very different on game day in the locker room and you were set up to fail when they told you to, they played a joke on you, go talk to him, he likes to uh, to chat. But um, we had him once a long time ago on a show in, uh, in a, on Up Close and he was, it was during All-Star time and he couldn't have been nicer. He was just a lo- lovely man and just very respectful and sweet and he didn't, as intimidating as he looks as this big, tall presence, he was just, he couldn't have been kinder and uh, appreciative of being on. So I thought that was... Uh, very cool. Very different than what he would look like if you had just met him. Thank you, Tom. Well, was there a story there? No, I was just sharing experience with Randy. The, the, the people would, he's got a bad rap, I think, over the years as being this scary, intimidating person. Just because he's like that on the mound doesn't mean that's the person is. So I just thought that would be a, an interesting little footnote to share. But obviously, I missed the mark there somewhere. I, you know, all right, he's sweet. I was, he was shockingly nice. I thought he'd be, have an attitude of like, you know, like he was doing us a big favor. He was showing up or he'd give you this glare or he wasn't like Dave Stewart staring down the catcher's uh, mitt. Obviously, I missed the marks. <laughs> That's such a great line. That wasn't Broncos related either. Although he did pitch for the Astros briefly, but it's besides. We'll take a break here. Uh, more phone calls coming up. <laughs> You're the best, man. <laughs> Dave Stewart will reel him back in, that reference. Uh, uh, yeah. You remember Dave? Yeah, I do. You're that glare. I do. That stare down, yeah. All right. Well, Got to be about 45, 50 years old to get the, the Dave Stewart. Most of your references, you have to be at least 45 years old. I of really age. need to get with uh, the times and the, you know, the audience and the, what their ages are. What is that called again? That uh, Trying to hit a, a demographic. That's the word I was looking for. Back to you in the studio. Thank you, Todd. Uh, Warren Moon <laughs> will join us coming up. It's 19 after the hour. This is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Just in time for Father's Day, we got you covered. Bunch of new gear available just in time for Father's Day at danpatrick.com. New shirts, caps, mugs. The Get Off My Lawn t-shirt, that's at danpatrick.com. Warren Moon threw as pretty a deep ball as anybody I've ever seen. Jeff George was another one who threw a great deep ball. Warren's were usually caught, though, as opposed to Jeff George's. And uh, the Hall of Famer joining us on the program. Good morning, Warren. How are you? That's not fair, <laughs> Dan. <laughs> Jeff George did have a talented arm, though, man. He could throw it from every angle, from every platform. I love watching him throw the football. Most physically talented quarterback you've ever seen? Wow. Um, you got to go by errors. Like, John Elway was pretty physically talented during the time that I played. You look now at, at, at Patrick Mahomes. I mean, as physically talented as he is, also Aaron Rodgers, uh, there was been, there's been a lot of them, so I don't know. It's, it's hard to say one, but th- those guys that I just named are pretty much in that same class where they can throw the ball from any angle, any platform. Feet don't have to be together. One of them threw the ball with his left hand in a game and then completed one. So uh, that tells you how talented those guys are. 
How helpless is that feeling when you're on the sidelines and you're watching a quarterback lead that two-minute drill and there's nothing you can do? Believe me, I've been there because uh, I remember in Denver, you know, we got gave the ball back to uh, John Elway with a minute 48 left on his own five-yard line. And I'm sitting on the sidelines hoping our defense can get him stopped so we can win this playoff game. And he takes him down, uh, converts two fourth down situations and ends up uh, going down and, and getting the, the final score to beat us. So uh, there was nothing I could do over on that sideline, as you said, because my job – uh, if anything, I could have got one more first down and hopefully ran the clock out, but that didn't happen. So there's nothing you can do if you don't play defense. When you came out of Washington and you had an unbelievable Rose Bowl performance, but why were you told you weren't drafted? You know, a lot of different reasons. It had nothing to do with uh, the real reason, I think. You know, they said I didn't come out of a pro-style offense. They said that uh, a lot of teams who never even came out to, to look at me thought I was, wasn't was tall enough, I wasn't big enough. You know, I'm the same same height as I am right now. Uh, I was probably uh, 205 pounds at the time, which which I think was pretty big enough to play quarterback. And just a lot of different reasons it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But the biggest thing I think was they said that I didn't come out of a pro-style offense. And we didn't run a pro-style offense, but that didn't mean that I couldn't uh, navigate into a pro style offense if that's what I was asked to do. I, I ran the offenses that I was asked to run, and that's what what good quarterbacks can do. They can make adjustments to different types of styles uh, if they have the ability that they need to play the position. And playing the position for as long as you did, there were code words that you would hear that would mean something. They would it would mean more to you than it would me, right? Be, because they're saying, "Well, you didn't run a pro style offense." Not that you couldn't adapt to run a pro style offense. But all of a sudden, right. we've labeled you. you know, Cam Newton didn't run a pro-style offense. No. But, Lots of guys didn't run pro-style offenses. But there's guys that ran option offenses in college, but they still went into the – still got a chance to play in the NFL uh, and at least show what they could do. So uh, I wasn't taking that. And even Doug Williams, who ran a pro-style offense at Grambling the year that I came out, he was a, he was a first-round draft pick, but he was – he went to Tampa Bay, which was uh, John McKay at the time. And John McKay had African-American quarterbacks a bunch at USC. So he was used to, to uh, having an African-American quarterback. But if Doug wouldn't have went at 13, which was 13th pick, he should have went before that, but he, but he went to 13. If he doesn't go to Tampa Bay at 13, he might not have went in the first round either. So hmm. um, that's, just the, that's just the time that we lived in. Uh, there was a mentality and a stigma about African-American quarterbacks. And I knew it was going to be difficult for me to play that position when I chose to do it. Uh, so it, it didn't uh, surprise me when things got a little more difficult as I got into college. You hear this conversation now where people are saying, hey, maybe it's time to give Colin Kaepernick a chance. I just wonder, is it a legitimate chance for him? He's going to want to start. I think everything he's gone through, you don't want to go back into the NFL and say, okay, hey, we gave you your job. Now go away. You should be happy. He's a competitor like anybody is. He wants to start. But do you think Kaepernick, why, why now is somebody going to give him a chance when he hasn't played in four years that now we give him a chance? And how do you think he would accept that opportunity? Yeah, I think the only way he should be given a chance is if, if he can um, go through a workout for a team and pass their workout because, he, like you said, he hasn't played in three or four years. Uh, a lot has changed in the game, the way the game is being played right now. And you want to find out from him, you want to sit down with him and find out where his mindset is because as a quarterback in the NFL, you have to be kind of all in 
especially if you're trying to get a job and trying to recreate yourself in the league. It's not like he's an established guy and he can maybe start doing some things off the field. He's trying to get back into it. So he's got to really be focused and all in on this because more so than any other position uh, in sports, quarterback, you better be all in or, or it's not going to work well for you. So uh, that would be my biggest question to him. Does he really want to play football? And then can he can he pass the workout of, of what a team would put him through? And then is he going to be focused enough to uh, get up to speed to learn a team system? Because Cam Newton is sitting out there right now, and he's not a starter. Uh, Jameis Winston is a backup somewhere. This guy hasn't played in four years, so if he expects to come in and be a starter, that's not going to happen. He's going to have to work his way back in like some of the other guys who have been playing each and every week. I was reading a column by Charles Robinson on Yahoo saying Roger Goodell has a small window to save his legacy and have a team sign Colin Kaepernick. How does the commissioner convince a team to sign Colin Kaepernick? I I don't understand this. Yeah, I I don't know if that's going to happen either. Um, He has a lot of power, but I don't think he has that type of power because, again, he works for the owners, and the owners kind of make the decisions on how they want to do things. And, and, uh, you know, there's got to be an owner out there that's willing to – to uh, to take that opportunity to sign him, I know the Seahawks had him in here a number of years ago and sat him down, and they and I think they got a chance to learn who he was. They got a chance to see him physically, and they put him. You know, that was kind of part of their scouting process. That if we needed a quarterback, we knew this is a guy that maybe we could go to. So they know who he is. They they've sat down with him, um, and I think this would be a good fit for him if. Again, he answers those other questions we talked about, whether he can pass the, the workout and whether he's really totally into playing football because Pete Carroll is open-minded a coach that there is in the league and uh, the same thing with the ownership up here. So I think it could work up here, but again, those other questions have to be answered. He's Warren Moon, the CFL and NFL Hall of Famer. You're the only player in both CFL and NFL Hall of Fame. Is that that right? I am, and only one other coach, I think, uh, Bud Grant. Bud Grant is a uh, co- uh, a coach uh, in the Hall of Fame in, in Canada and also in the NFL, too. So, What did yeah, you get only- for going – you get a jacket for going into the CFL Hall of Fame? I do. I got a jacket and a bust. Kind of the same thing. You oh, get a nice. ring. Nice. Yeah. A better-looking jacket, Canton or the uh, Hamilton okay. – uh, Hall of Fame. The, the, the jacket might look better uh, in Canada because it's black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard to wear your pro football Hall jacket, of Fame jacket. <laughs> yeah, the gold jacket is cool. You love you that you have one in your closet, but it's not something you're gonna you're gonna wear as swag every weekend. You know. Yeah, it's hard to have an outfit that goes along with that that gold jacket there. Exactly. <laughs> and and then what's your number inside on your uh, pro football Hall of Fame? Jacket. Uh, I think I'm 283. 283. Yeah, that yeah. was when Tony Dungy showed me that. That was really cool. When you see that number in there, that inside uh, patch, it's pretty cool. You are the yeah. You know exactly where you stand in the history of the game. Uh, your salary first year in the CFL was what? 1978. <laughs> I got 35,000 to sign, wow. and my first year salary was 45,000. Wow. And that was considered like a equivalent to a second round contract in the NFL. Well, you had to, that money would go a long way in Edmonton. <laughs> it, it did pretty well, <laughs> but I was living in Seattle at the time. But uh, when I first came to the NFL, 
and I was like a, a true free agent and highest paid player in the league when I came into the league. I signed for five years for five point five million. Wow. But they did change a little they've changed a little since then. But didn't you have a contract that you were always going to be one of the I forget what it was, but didn't you get raises depending on other quarterbacks getting raises? Did did your agent negotiate that where you were always going to be in the top five in salary? Yeah, my my second contract was like that. Yeah, it was called adjustable years, so nice. nobody could ever uh, be be paid more than myself. So, and and I, I imagine something like that would happen to today. Uh, you look at like a Dak Prescott who's worried about you know his contract or. Or Patrick Mahomes, who probably is going to be one of the top quarterbacks from here going forward, you would think they'd want to have something like that in their deal if it's allowed. Some of those things aren't allowed anymore, but if that was allowed. Do you know if this is true that uh, the story is LeBron James met his agent Rich Paul because Rich was wearing a Warren Moon jersey and he, Rich was walking through an airport. LeBron stopped him and asked him where he got the jersey. Did you ever hear I that? I heard story? that story, yeah. I heard that story. I, and the next time I ever see LeBron, I'm going to mention that to him and see if it's really true. Why would you pick one? You know, it was a number to me that was different. It was, uh, in my mind, the number one is something I always strive for to be the best. And then I also felt like as, uh, as my teammates looked at me as the leader on a team, that number one is going to always remind them is that's what we want to be as a team as well. So it has significance as far as where I wanted to finish personally and where our team should want to finish as a team. Were you there when uh, Renfro, Mike Renfro, the game against the Steelers? When he I was not there yet. No, that okay. was uh, a couple of years before I got there. Yeah, because Houston had some tough losses. And, you know, that Renfro catch, they said, wasn't a catch. Um, that was against Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I watched that game up in Canada. I think I was up there at the time because Earl Campbell and I came out the same year, and he went to he went to Houston as their number one overall pick. But uh, I went to Canada, so I, I watched a lot of Houston Oilers games on television. Man, Earl was something different, though. But that's I mean, that style, though. I mean, we see Derrick Henry now, but Earl took on everybody. Yeah, and everybody in the stadium knew he was getting the ball pretty much every play, and, and he still couldn't be stopped. And when I got to, to Houston, it was about his sixth year. Uh, he was a little bit banged up by then, and he ended up getting traded the next year to New Orleans with, with Bum Phillips because he went to New Orleans. But I, I saw glimpses of who Earl still was during that, that one year that I played with him, one and a half year, excuse me. And it's still one of those highlights. Doesn't he hit Isaiah Robertson of the Rams right in the sternum? And runs right through him and almost steps on him and goes on into the end zone. Ends up with no pads on at the same time. He, well, he, he had, had that tearaway jersey. More jerseys ripped off of him by any other player in the league. Uh, it's good to talk to you, Warren. I hope you're doing well. We appreciate your perspective on all of this, and uh, thanks for joining us. I, I'm doing great, and I, I'm glad you're doing as well, and uh, look forward to talking to you down the road. Thank you, Warren. That's uh, Warren Moon. Five great cups for him and uh, pro football and the uh, Canadian football league hall of fame there. Got a bust. You got a jacket. Nice. Yeah. He threw a great deep ball. Beautiful deep ball. And I love the Oilers. Ernest Givens. Yeah, Paul. He joined the Oilers in, in 84 and he was like this mystery out of Canada where, I mean, you got a guy like, like you knew him because of what he did in college. But younger people, you didn't see CFL highlights. You didn't see anything. So he was just this legendary CFL athlete and great college quarterback 
who was about to join the Oilers. And I remember it was a really big deal when he joined the NFL. And then because we assumed if you went to the Canadian Football League that you couldn't throw the ball, that you were more of a running quarterback, athletic quarterback. And Doug Flutie had to go up there, which he shouldn't have, but he did. And, you know, Joe Theismann went up there and Joe played at Notre Dame. I don't think Joe might have gotten drafted by the Dolphins like really, really late. But you watched Warren Moon throw a football and he went, that's not the reason why he hadn't been in the NFL because he could throw a great deep ball. Tony Dungy talked would tell that story about he had a wide receiver I forget what it is. McNoblin, do you remember uh, the wide receiver that Tony talked about? Jacob Reed of the Vikings. So Jacob Reed would drop the ball all the time. Yeah. All of a sudden, Warren Moon comes in. Jacob Reed. Jake Reed has this unbelievable season because Warren Moon put it exactly where he needed to put it. In between the numbers. Yes. What Dungey said. Yeah. Tony said, I mean, Warren threw the ball. Beautiful ball there. And uh, Jake Reed. All right. We'll take a break here. Uh, Michael Wilbon joins us uh, coming up a little bit later on. Baseball still in the on-deck circle. Um, maybe we get some movement here. And uh, and I hate to build up anybody's hopes with this. I, I hate to tear them down, too, but I'm just trying to be realistic with what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, what I'm reading. And I don't know any more than probably what you do. But you want to apply logic to this that you assume the owners would want to come back and the players would want to come back and that you could meet somewhere in the middle and we could have a 75-game schedule season and you could get pay commensurate to how many games you're going to play. It just doesn't feel like everybody has the same goal here. I, I saw Wilbon and Kornheiser go off on this yesterday on Pardon the Interruption. And I, that made me uh, say to Todd, we should have Wilbon on. I'd love to get him riled up, too. And we do have the schedule for the NBA with the, the uh, regular season and then the postseason here. And, you know, it's a pretty tight window. And if you're the NBA, you're going to be going up against the NFL first couple of weeks in when you're going to have your late playoff games in the NBA Finals. Got to stay away from Sundays, Sunday night. Monday, Thursday, and try to sprinkle your product in accordingly. All right, we'll take a break. More phone calls coming up after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Saw this article on CBSSports.com. Jumping on my bandwagon, Brad Botkin, saying the Rockets could make a Cinderella run. Yeah, if I was going to put money, which I don't, but if I was, I'd, I'd put some money on the Rockets to maybe surprise people as, as a one of those longer shots to win the championship. Now, they were only together for 14 games with their current lineup, and they didn't play well towards the end of the regular season when the lockout happened. But... uh you know, the, the NBA playoffs are really predictable for the most part uh, because of the seven-game series, the East-West format. But, you know, this is different. This is something different. No home court advantage, no fans. And teams go in there based on what kind of condition they're going to be in and what kind of rhythm they can find in a short period of time. I get nervous with the Rockets because I just don't know 
if Harden is going to give it or take it away. Russell Westbrook. When Westbrook shoots over 40, 42, 45%, that's, they win. He's, that, he's a dangerous player when he's able to shoot well. Now, he's not a good shooter. He's a scorer. Harden shoots so much. Uh, he's a scorer as well, um, and he should be a better shooter than what he is. But the last two NBA postseasons that played under unique circumstances were lockout-shortened seasons, 1999 and Michael Jordan in 1995 when Jordan wasn't there. Those two factors made those two seasons feel a little bit more up for grabs, according to CBSSports.com. 1999, the Knicks were an eighth seed. They made it to the finals. That's the only time that ever happened. They lost to the Spurs. 1995, the Rockets won the title as a number six seed. The only time that that's ever happened. I don't know. Rockets, to me, are always interesting. But they could be really good and really bad. And that could be in the same game, same series, same playoffs. Yeah, Paul. You said a couple of weeks ago that if, if they had shortened series, it would be good for the Rockets. Because, again, they're a shooting team. If they get a couple hot games, that could take away everything. Yeah. And that's what I don't know. I love, you know, it's small ball. Remember when uh, the Warriors had their death lineup? Or lineup, is that what it was called, McLeod? Yeah, the death lineup. Death lineup. You know, and the Rockets are going to have a starting lineup. Maybe the tallest player is, what, 6'6"? Six, six? That's it. This is one of those, you better adjust to us. You know, we're going to have to adjust to you a little bit, but you have to adjust to us. Yeah, McClellan. I think it's underrated how close the Rockets came to winning it all. I mean, they had the Warriors on the Yes, they did. I think they have the championship kind of DNA, but they haven't just ran into the Warriors. Well, Oklahoma City had Golden State on the ropes as well. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, but, you know, you got to be able great teams close you out. Uh, But the Rockets, to me, are interesting. I'm always fascinated in watching them. I just don't know if they can be consistent enough to win. Yes, McClellan. So I've been thinking, Mannix picked the Sixers in the East. Yeah. And a lot of my Philly friends have been like, they got they can't play away from their home stadium, so this could be a problem. I never understood that. Yeah, I don't either. I, if you're a pro, you should be able to play wherever you go. I mean, the basket, the court, the dimensions are all the same. But weren't the, the great Celtics and Lakers teams dominant at home as well? Yeah. But they could travel. The Sixers can't shoot. That's why they can't travel. They, they, they can't hit a shot. And I know that Mannix, who covers the NBA for Sports Illustrated, he likes the Sixers because they're a defensive-minded team. Well, you still have to be able to score. And, and that's still a concern that I have. Are they consistent enough to be able to put up enough points? Everybody's putting up at least 100 points now. This isn't... You know, the Greco-Roman wrestling basketball where, you know, in the 90s with the Knicks where, you know, you get to 80 and you, you know, first team to 80 would win. Everybody's putting up 100, 105. Now, in the playoffs, will those numbers come down? Yeah, there'd be more of a half-court offense and defense. But, I mean, you could look at the Sixers the way you do the Rockets. They're kind of unique in their style, but I don't know. Uh, I just have my doubts about the chemistry of that team. It just feels like it's it's not as smooth as you would want with the, the two-star players there. Yeah, Paul. Here's some saucy three-point stats. The, the Sixers are the 14th best three-point shooting team in the NBA. They shoot 36.2%. The Houston Rockets are the 23rd best shooting team in the NBA. 
They shoot only 34.5%. Now, they lead in volume. You know who the worst percentage three-point shooting team in the NBA is? Take a guess. It, there's irony around it. Um, I would have thought it was the Rockets. The worst percentage is the Golden State Warriors. They are the worst three-point mm. shooting team tied with Atlanta. The best is the Miami Heat. Yeah, but that's this year. Just this year. And Golden State doesn't have Klay Thompson, right, and they didn't have Steph Curry. How fascinating how different it went. Yeah, McLovin. I was going to say Dallas, because early on in the season, didn't Luka Doncic throw up like 23 pointers a game? <laughs> it's volume, right? Yes. Yeah. Dallas is the eighth best three point shooting team in the, in this league. I mean, Houston's, if they're the highest volume, that gives them a chance in this too. You can just bomb threes all Well, I, I mean, they do it, but I got to, you have to make them. It's one thing that you take them. You, if you're taking 44 a game, you got to help me out and make maybe 18. 15? That would be nice. Uh, Jesse in Los Angeles. Hey, Jesse, what do you have for me today? Hey, Dickie. Hey, but... hey uh, funny you guys just mentioned that, but uh, I was actually at that game seven when they missed 23 straight threes, and that was the worst $1,400 I ever spent. <laughs> I, got, I got really banged up the second half when it started to collapse. <laughs> uh, on the NBA, though, I'm still a bit confused because uh, Sports Illustrated Instagram post came out saying there's a playing tournament for two days, and I thought it was eight games. And that leads me to my question. Uh, the whole point of this is, so I was up in my hometown of Sacramento, California this past weekend, and I was eating at a barbecue place with some of my townie friends, and of course, Kings basketball comes up. And I'm wondering, is it time for us to dust off the cowbell? Like, are the Kings back in the playoffs or not? Thanks for your help. <laughs> uh, I don't think they're back in the playoffs. I think they're playing to get back into the playoffs. And yeah, more cowbell. Forget he's rolling. Can't go wrong with that. More cowbell. Also, Paulie came up with a plan for the teams that didn't make it into the pool to play in to get into the playoffs. And uh, he came up with a uh, the title of the league, a tournament. It's called the uh, You Suck Invitational. <laughs> we'll, ta- we'll talk about that. <laughs> and the winner gets the number one overall pick. One more item in the second hour. It's LegalZoom. Always remember, when you need to make it legal, make it LegalZoom.com. 